Well, good morning from me, and it's great to see you here this morning, and I'll just ask that you'd bow in prayer with me. Lord, these are hard words, that if we want to be your disciple, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross. And pray that you would give me the mouth to speak, but we would have the ears and the hearts to hear. Moved, changed by your Spirit, for your glory, to be more like you. In Jesus' name. Amen. There's a title for you this morning, The Shocking Cost. The Shocking Cost. Matthew 16, 13 to 28. Just to give you a little reminder of where we've been. We started with elders, we went into deacons, we looked at church habits, we looked at serving one another last week, we looked at little ones, and today... We're going to look at the cost, the shocking cost of following Jesus. There is a cost of following Jesus. And the question that you should be asking is, how much? How much? And the answer is more than you ever imagined. The cost of following Jesus is more than you ever imagined. Some people have the impression that because salvation is a free gift of grace, where we've been bought with the enormous price of Christ's death, that following Jesus, therefore, won't cost you anything. But the cost of following Jesus is embedded in this passage in the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel 24, 24, King David says to Aruna, he says, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen, and he paid 50 shekels of silver for them. Take a look at this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He said, Discipleship is not an offer that man makes to Christ. Being a disciple is not on our terms, but in some forms of Christianity today, you, you might get the impression that people are inviting Jesus to follow them. Bonhoeffer again, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Sounds all a bit extreme, doesn't it? Sounds a little bit fundamental. Sounds a bit Islamic. Seems a little bit out of balance. But if you've got your Bible and open into our passage, Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 25. He said, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. 
There is a cost to following Jesus. How much, you ask? It will cost you everything you have. In John 6.66, it says, From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. I would not be surprised this morning that for some of you here, after hearing what the cost is to following Jesus, I wouldn't be some surprised if some of you never come back. I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of you here this morning, after hearing what it means to follow Jesus, that you, may, you might turn away and stop following Him. You see, you might discover this morning that you've actually been inviting Jesus to follow you instead of you following Jesus. It is possible for you to discover this morning that the Jesus you thought you were following is not actually the Jesus of the Bible. I've got five very simple headings for you. Shock one. Shock two. Shock three. Shock four. And some shocking applications. You ready? Shock one. Can you remember the very last time you were ever shocked by something that someone said? Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? And if you've got your Bible and you then flick down to verse 16, you, you find that Peter has a really crowning moment, doesn't he? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus gives Peter a, a glowing, crowning response. He says in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but revealed to you by my Father in heaven. Peter at this moment is pretty puffed up. Jesus tells Peter that the Father revealed this truth to him. Wow. And then Jesus follows this up in verse 18 when he says to Peter, Peter, and I tell you, on this rock, Peter, on this confession that you've just made, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And if it couldn't get any better for Peter... In verse 19, he even says to Peter, Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. For whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, Peter at this point is not sure what the keys mean. But if someone gives you the keys to the city, you're a pretty important person, aren't you? Imagine getting the keys to the kingdom. Peter at this point, he's got the right confession. He's got the right rock. He's got the right keys. Peter's feeling like the creme brulee. He's feeling like the dish of the disciples. He's got the crown jewels. And then comes the shock. From that time, or it could be even written, at that precise moment, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, 
and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter is so busy thinking about how he and the Messiah are going to get the Roman parrots off the Jewish perch that this shocker of a statement comes in. The Messiah is going to be killed and rejected by the, by, the, by, by the Jewish leaders. I don't think Peter even heard the bit about the resurrection. See, for so many today, a crucified Messiah is a, it's a real shocker, isn't it? Here's how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 22, he said, Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and a foolishness to the Gentiles. I just want to ask you this morning, is Christ crucified a stumbling block for you? Is it foolishness? Is it a shock? Or... As Paul finishes that part of Scripture, look at it in verse 24. A stumbling block to the Jews. It's foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ crucified the power of God and the wisdom of God. Is Christ crucified both your power and your wisdom? leads us into the second shock of the passage in verse 22. Peter hears this statement from Jesus that he's going to die and be rejected and suffer at the hands of the authorities. In verse 22, Peter takes him aside, that's Jesus, and begins, begins to rebuke him. He says, never, Lord, never. This shall never happen to you. It's shocking, isn't it? Peter rebukes the Messiah. Why? Because the death of Messiah for Peter was a stupid, weak, ignorant plan. And that was not how the keys turned for Peter's kingdom. This was not how the kingdom of Peter played out. This was not Peter's plan for God. This was Peter saying to Jesus, Jesus, the Father's got a wonderful plan for your life and it doesn't include pain and suffering. This is Peter offering Jesus a way of discipleship. This is, Jesus offering, uh, this is Peter offering Jesus, please come and follow me. But if that ain't shocking enough, let's go to the third shock. Now, after Jesus has rebuked Peter, what might you think Jesus would say to Peter? Or what might you think Peter is expecting Jesus to say to him? I think it probably went something like this. Oh, Peter, blessed are you, son of Jonah. How wrong I was in what I said. I'm so sorry, Peter. Thank you for rebuking me. This was revealed to you not by flesh and blood, but was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. But that's not quite how Jesus responded, was it? The shock comes in verse 23, and I'm not sure what the Australian version is, but it was a real corker. 
Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter was A plus in verse 17. He was F minus by verse 23. He went from hero to zero. He went from genius to dunce as Peter discovered that his keys didn't quite fit the messianic keyhole. You see, for Peter's Messiah, it was a crown and no cross. For the Messiah, it was a cross before the crown. But I wonder if you've noticed that this rebuking of Jesus goes on all the time, both by people that claim to follow him and those that don't, by people in the church and those that are not. This rebuking of Jesus goes on all the time. I'll give you some examples. John 5.17, in his defense, Jesus said to them, My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but because he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. No, 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 Jesus. No, 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 you're badly mistaken. Jesus, you're the Son of God. You're not God the Son. You're great, but, 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 but you're not divine. Jesus, you've got this a little bit off. Yes, you and the Father are one. Yes, you and the Father are tight. Yes, the Father loves you so much, but Jesus, you've got it wrong. You're not divine. Haven't you forgotten that you were created somewhere in history? Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28, He said, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. Oh, Jesus, you've got it just slightly wrong again, Jesus. You, 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 you didn't come as a ransom. You, you, you didn't come as a substitute. You didn't come to die in the place of sinners. That's a bit of a blunder, dude. If you died in the place of sinners, that would mean that the father was, was guilty of cosmic child abuse and a loving father would never do that to his son, would he? Jesus, you, you came as an example. You came as a hero. You came as a representative. You didn't come as a substitute. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me because you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me except, no one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, Jesus, man, you've got it wrong again. <laughs> Jesus, you are a way to the Father. You're not the way to the Father. You've, you've just got it slightly wrong. 
Jesus, haven't you forgotten you? You can go through Buddha. You can go through Confucius. You can go through Muhammad. You can go through Mother Nature. You can go through all these different ways. You just need to be sincere. Jesus, I know the Father loves you. I know you guys are tight. I know you guys, but you're not, you're not, you're not the way. You're a way. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then Jesus said in Matthew 10 20, he said, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Oh, Jesus, oh, no, you've just taken it a little bit too far. Jesus, hell's not a real place. Hell is annihilation. Hell is a place of the dead. The loving Heavenly Father would never send anybody to hell for eternity for rejecting you. I know the Father loves you so much, but He would never send anybody to hell because they've rejected you. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me because you do not have in mind the things of God, but merely human concerns. In our passage, Matthew 16, 21, just look at the end. Jesus says he's going to die and suffer. And then he says at the end he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Oh, Jesus, you've just got it slightly wrong again. The Father didn't say you were going to be physically raised. What he meant was you're going to be figuratively raised. You're going to be metaphorically raised. The disciples are going to hope that you're going to get raised. But Jesus, just because you died physically, doesn't mean you're going to rise physically. I mean, you've just got it slightly wrong, Lord. Ready for the fourth shock? Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. I don't think at this point the disciples had the courage to voice their concern. I don't think at this point they had the courage to take Jesus aside and rebuke him. But if we could get inside their minds, it probably went something like this. Has the Messiah gone completely loony? Has the, has the Messiah now finally lost his marbles. I mean, no wonder the family came in Mark 3 to come and take charge of him. They thought he was bonkers. They thought he was mad. You see, if the disciples had the courage to take Jesus aside, or even Peter, to take Jesus aside and rebuke him at this point, it would have gone something like this. Never, Lord. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to us. 
A cross before a crown for the Messiah? Man, that, 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 that's a hard one to swallow. But a, but a cross before a crown for His disciples that follow Him? Never, Lord, never. This shall never happen to us. You see, Lord, haven't you forgotten that you've, you're contradicting yourself? Don't you remember John 10.10 10, when you said you came and you came that we might have life and life to the full? Don't you remember saying that, Jesus? Don't you remember that, that, that it was quoted of you in the prophet Isaiah and that, that, you, that, that you would take up our infirmities and you would bear our diseases? I mean, what you meant to say, Jesus, is that if we believe in you now, we can have all our needs, all our wants, all our diseases, all our problems, all our stuff. It can all be fixed now. It, it, it can all be satisfied now. We, 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 we can have it now. Isn't that, isn't that what you meant to say? Get behind me, Satan. For you're a stumbling block to me. For you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Lord, heal. Lord, fix. Lord, take away. Lord, remove. And then when the Lord doesn't do that, we look up and say, Lord, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Get behind me. Satan. Please stop that persecution of Christians in country X. Please get that, 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 that Christian out of jail in, in, in country Y. Please, would you make Australia a Christian country? And then when it doesn't happen, we look up at the skies and say, Lord, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block because you do not have in mind the things of God, but merely human concerns. Lord, take away my cross. Lord, give me the crown. I want it now. Get behind me, Satan. And Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Lord, this shall never happen to us. Haven't you read, Jesus said in Matthew 19, that at the beginning, creator, the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Oh, Jesus, you got it slightly wrong, didn't you? Jesus, Jesus, marriage is not just between a man and a woman. It's, it's, it's also between a male and a male. It's also, it's also okay for female and female. Lord, you've got it wrong. As long as they're committed relationships, as long as it's loving same-sex relationships, it's not wrong. Jesus, homosexuality is not a sin. You've got it wrong.
Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you, you keep my commands. No, Lord. <laughs> no, Lord, you've got it wrong. <laughs> we don't need to obey your commands. We don't need to seek to do what your word says. I can, I can, I can, I can love you and do what I want. I can, I can love you and sleep with who I want. I can love you and marry who I want. I can love you and just do whatever I want to do because you love me and I love you. And There's a cost. How much? How much? More than you can ever imagine. So for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. You see, being a disciple of Jesus is not having the life of Jesus so that you can keep your own life. Being a disciple of Jesus is having the life of Jesus for your life. You see, being a disciple of Jesus is no longer about you, but Him. You no longer belong to you, but you belong to Him. It's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. As Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 15, he said that he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. To be a disciple is to be someone who is continually denying themselves. It's not, it's not, it's not what you want. It's not about what you want. It's about what he wants. It's no longer about what you think. It's about what he thinks. It's no longer about your desires. It's about what he desires for you. It's no longer about what you feel. It's about what He feels. It's not about your kingdom. It's about His kingdom. It's no longer about your keys to the kingdom. It's about His keys to His kingdom. You see, you cannot follow Jesus and it be all about you. He bought you with the precious, He bought you with His precious blood that you no longer belong to you, but you belong to Him who died and rose for you. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus and it be all about you. To be a disciple, it's not about your identity. It's not about your sexual practices, your sexual preferences. It's not about those, those, your morality. Yes, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, but He is also Lord of your identity and Lord of your sexual practices and Lord of your morality. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth and He is Lord of your life. He dictates who you are. He dictates what you do. And when we find that what we're thinking and doing is not in line with the word of Jesus, we submit to Jesus who is Lord of my life. You can't serve God and money. <laughs> you can't do it. You can't do it. 
but you also cannot serve God and yourself. I love the, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism of 1563. Some of you might be familiar with it, and it, it asks this question. It says, what is your only comfort in life and death? What is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer that the Catechism gives is, I belong, that I belong body and soul in life and death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. See, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. To die to self is to live for Christ. Or to live for Christ is to die to self. To live a life of continual self-denial means that I keep on saying no to me. It's no to self-rules. It's no to self-desires. And I hope that you're starting to realize that a life of self-denial is a little bit more than giving up chocolate over Lent. You see, denying oneself is a continual struggle to keep killing the sin that lives in you. We'll deal with that next week. It's a continual fighting against, against those evil desires that are generated from your flesh. It is a constant denial of those feelings that so go against God and His Word. What does it mean to be a disciple? To deny oneself, take up the cross and follow him? Well, perhaps it could be captured in these words in a song. The song is called Follow You Anywhere. You can pick it up on Spotify. And here's just some of the words. I'll follow you anywhere. Wherever you lead me. Whatever it costs me. All I want is you, Jesus. All I want is you. You realize that a life of ongoing self-denial is a life of constantly crucifying your will and wants and desires and feelings, which means that there's a constant turning away from ourselves. That's repentance. Repenting, turning away from ourselves to the Lord, away from ourselves to the Lord. Jesus put it like this in Matthew 7, 21. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So I start to close. Let's just go back to John chapter 666 again. And from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Do you remember what Jesus said in, res in response? Verse 67, he said, you do not want to leave too, do you? He asked the twelve. Do you remember Peter's response? Lord, to whom shall we? To whom shall we go? Where else can we go? You, you have the words of eternal life and we have come to believe and know that you are indeed the Holy One of God. That's the question I want to ask you this morning. 
You do not want to leave too, do you? It was a cross before a crown for Jesus. It is a cross before a crown for those who follow him. There is a cost to following Jesus. How much, you ask? How much? As the music team comes up, the gathering team, ponder the answer.